comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Welcome to the Walking Dead TV Podcast, episode 98. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by Mr. Aaron Newirth and Mr. Jim Dietz. How y'all doing tonight, gentlemen? Doing well. So glad to be back. Yes, indeed. It's uh, It's been a long time in between seasons, but we're back for season four. Uh, episode 401, 30 Days Without an Accident, was our season premiere, uh, directed by Greg Nicotero and written by the new showrunner Scott Gimple. Uh, before we get into the sponsor, before we get into the episode, what did you guys think of this episode and, and the, the return to The Walking Dead in general? I, overall, I like the season premiere. I thought it, we'll get to this more in kind of the show, but it, it felt more like a um, kind of an episode that jumps ahead in time rather than an epic season premiere episode just in terms of how things are handled. But overall, I did like the episode. So yeah, it's certainly, certainly a strong premiere for what it is. I liked it a lot. I was real happy to see them going with the new status quo and kind of taking us ahead in time a little bit to see how that kind of they've kind of, kind of settled in and uh, you know how that is how that is all played out. I was I was very happy with it. Yeah, I gotta say the the pacing of the first half of the episode rubbed me the wrong way at first until I realized what they were doing, kind of lulling us into a false sense of security, allowing for everything to then simultaneously hit the fan. Um, so in retrospect, I liked it a lot more than I did when I was actually watching the episode, uh, but we'll get into the, all the specifics of that later on. Like a dyslexic masseuse, it rubbed you the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Had a lot of table setting to do, that's for sure. That That's true, yeah. Although I think it did it effectively, but we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Hey, Aaron, I hear you're in the market for some cheap comic books. Is that right? Always. Now, if I told you that there was a place where you could save 30, 40, 50% on your comic book and comic book uh, related merchandise, would you be excited about that? Not only would be I be excited, I'd be like, tell me, dummy, where? Where is this? Well, what if I told you that with a special code that we can give you, you could save even an extra 8% on top of the 30, 40, or 50% you'd already be saving? Now you're talking feel, crazy talk. I feel like I'd be a fool not to accept this deal, honestly. I can't disagree with you on that. And and if you are looking for a deal like that, and quite frankly, listeners as well, if you're looking for a deal like that, go to dcbservice.com. That's dcbservice.com. They've got all your monthly comic books out there. Uh, any book that's out there that you want to check out, be it The Walking Dead, Invincible, also by Robert Kirkman, uh, The Avengers, stuff over at DC with the Justice League and Batman and Superman. If it's out there on the shelves every week and every month, they've got it at dcbservice.com at crazy discounts. You can get number ones at crazy discounts. You can get number 20 
at a crazy discount. Um, T-shirts and, and toys and other tie-ins to comic books. If it's comic book related, it's a good chance it's going to be on DCBService.com. You can save 30, 40, 50% sometimes. And with our code WD8, you can save an additional 8%. That's if you're a new customer or if you haven't ordered in a year. Enter that code WD8 at DCBService.com. Save yourself an additional 8% off of the already crazy deep discounts. And uh, you can thank us later. How's that sound? Sounds great. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, so, gentlemen, what do you say we get into talking about the episode? Sounds good to me. Sounds like a winner. Episode 401 is entitled 30 Days Without an Accident. Again, it was directed by executive producer Greg Nicotero, who's also behind many of the special effects on the show, pretty much all of these special effects on the show, let's be honest, and written by the new showrunner and executive producer Scott M. Gimple, who was also on uh, The Talking Dead last night. Did either of you get a chance to watch The Talking Dead? I watched a good chunk of it, actually, yes. No, I did not. I did not realize it was going to be an hour-long episode. I kept, uh, I was emailing Jim saying, oh, I'll be, I'll be online in a few minutes. And I was like, oh, this keeps going and going and going. But uh, I thought he was actually pretty fun at first. I see this guy sitting there, and he seems kind of nerdy and nebbish. And I'm like, oh, right. And then he was funny. Like, he had le- some legitimately funny things to say, and I liked his mannerisms. He wrote my favorite episode of last season, uh, Clearer, the episode with Morgan. So I was really interested to see what direction he would go this time. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think he, he did have a you know a warm presence, and I wouldn't say any of the other showrunners had a you know particularly negative presence. But yeah, he seemed like he was certainly game to, you know, not only represent the show that he's the showrunner on, but also have a fun time with Chris Hardwick and the and, and Nathan Fillion. So. Yeah, that was nice to see Captain Hammer slash Mal Reynolds on uh, on the show as well. Well, he's off for Canadian Thanksgiving, so he had time. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so this episode, as many of our season premieres, has a bunch of new characters, although I'd say probably has more than any other season premiere thus far, except maybe the original one. Um, So uh, we apologize if we stumble over any of the names as we go through the summary, but we start with Rick, who's out in a vegetable garden uh, in front of the prison. They've really fixed things up. Uh, he's, he's hoeing the ground and he's, uh, he's, you know, digging in the garden and listening to music. Apparently they've got some, uh, some batteries around. Well, a, a good point that Mike Jones brought up, uh, one of our listeners is how the heck did he charge that iPod? But, uh, I'll let that go. Batteries, man. Batteries. They don't, they found they? the old prison generator, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> which <laughs> it's has a solar which, iPod, which has an iTunes, which has an iPod, you know, adapter, obviously. Naturally, naturally. I'm sorry. And so he's digging around the garden. He finds a handgun uh, kind of buried in the earth. He picks it up. He looks at it a bit. He removes the uh, the magazine from the pistol, and then he throws the whole thing into the wheelbarrow. Uh, Carl comes up, uh, his voice now about three octaves deeper than it was last season. <laughs> and uh, he talks about this pig called Violet and saying that it's sick. And Rick tells Carl, A, you shouldn't be naming the pigs because they're food, not uh, not pets. And second, uh, I don't quite know the reason why the pigs are sick. Something I wanted to mention here real quick is the the real change in, in Carl's per, um, manner, not only because he's obviously a little bit older since the last time they filmed, but I mean, at the end of episode, uh, the, the end of season three, Carl was incredibly resentful of Rick. Uh, he, I mean, he had killed that kid, you know, uh, um, it was kind of a judgment call on his part and Herschel, you know, had kind of told Rick about it. Um, there was a lot of tension between Rick and, and Carl and now... At the beginning of this episode, it seems like all that is gone. You know, it seems like they're they're communicating well. They're, you know, they're they're back to a point where they're they're respecting and liking each other. And I thought that was great. I, I, that's 
one of my favorite relationships in in the story, and I'm glad that you know they were able to you know uh, progress that and patch it up, as it were. Obviously, that has to do with kind of the the uh, the time gap in between episodes. I believe it's what Jordan six seven months something like that. That that's what Mr. Gimple said uh, during Talking Dead. He said it's been six to seven months. He didn't get more specific than that, and that Rick has really spent that time dedicating his life to his son and his daughter. And, and not to going out and killing zombies and people like he had been for the last three seasons. It's been all about family for him since we left uh, since we left the prison. And, yeah, I hope that – I mean, I, I wouldn't, I guess, be opposed to seeing if there was any kind of, like, flashback to this kind of transition period with the prisoners entering into Woodbury along with Rick's, you know, transformation into where he is now versus where he was at the end of the last season. But I do like that we've kind of got past a lot of potential – drama that could or could not be isn't that interesting in favor of just picking up with this you know where what the status quo is in the you know present time of the prison right so outside of the prison carol is also cooking breakfast for the residents daryl comes up and joins her uh seems he's been away for a little while on some missions or whatever and uh we also meet one of our new survivors named patrick played by vincent martella who's uh, phineas from phineas and ferb we talked about him two episodes ago i believe and uh, he seems to be uh, as much of a Daryl fanboy as the internet is. And he comes up and he thanks him for the food. And uh, he's such a big fan. He practically asks for an autograph, but instead he gets a handshake. Well, they all kind of be, seem to be really enamored with Daryl. Like a lot of them look up. I mean, we see Zach later, you know, playing that guessing game with Daryl where he's trying to figure out what he was in civilian life before the zombies hat uh, happened, you know. And he guessed he was a homicide cop, you know. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot of hero worship of Daryl to go around, I guess is the point I'm making. It feels, right, like right, the, right. it feels like the show definitely has kind of a meta sense of humor about Daryl, which is like the most it's ever done, something like that, where it it it, it gets that it, that they know that Daryl is, a you know, a big presence on the show, obviously, and the show is incorporating that kind of into the, the fandom within the prison as well as, you know, outside of TV boxes of people watching it all over the place, which is humorous to me. I, I enjoyed that aspect. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so Carol tells Patrick to continue on with the cooking so she can talk to Daryl in private. And she mentions that they, they need people at the gates. They need to do a supply run. Uh, they need to make sure that they can take down all the walkers because for some reason, the walkers aren't really spreading out around the fence like they have been previously. Instead, they're kind of bunching up in a couple of different areas. And, you know, the more walkers you have pressing against a chain link fence, eventually that fence is going to give. So she wants to get on top of that situation pretty quickly. We also uh, check in with Glenn and Maggie, who wake up together, and uh, Glenn tells Maggie he doesn't really want her to come with him on the supply run later in the day, and we'll get back to that later. Right, he, he tells her that he doesn't want her to go along on the supply run, but he doesn't say why. And then we find out the reason later, as you say. And I kind of guessed immediately, like, why, but I was happy they didn't, you know, drag it out past this episode and they kind of answered all those questions by the end. Yeah, if it had been under Darabont's watch, it would be like a, a, a subplot we'd see over the next year, you know. <laughs> I completely agree with you, Jordan. I did kind of guess where that was going, but I was happy with the result of that scenario. That said, these two, these two got to lighten up at some point. I'm hoping to see some some more kind of energy from from these this, these two as a couple as much as i like them because i do i love glenn and i love watching maggie and maggie and glenn together so 
Yeah, and it's hard to tell. Like, when we last left them, their relationship was not really in a great place, if memory serves. And you wonder, has have they been doing really well in the last six, seven months, and this just happens to be the last week or two? Or have they been kind of on the outs the whole time? Which I hope not, because I like the two of them together. I don't know. The last time we really checked in on them as a couple, I think they were, you know, doing it on the cement. I mean, that's... Right. That's true. I guess they did kind, <laughs> they kind of... of uh, they, they made up after the... I mean, not that there's, like... It was more of a... The governor did this to you? Ah, I'm angry about this, leading to, you know, squabbling that's kind of weird, which was, you know, resolved with, as I said, doing it on the cement before, you know, the other dramatic things happened that didn't really involve them as a couple anymore for the rest of the season. Right, right. So Tyrese goes out and uh, to, to the fences, and we see a, a group of people, you know, taking down the walkers who are gathering up on the fence. And Tyrese is talking to this woman, and I honestly did not recognize who she was until after the episode was over when I was reading a review, which is odd because they specifically pointed her out in the previously on the Walking Dead segment. But it's Karen. Of course. The, uh, <laughs> the one survivor of the governor's massacre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I should have recognized her, but I was like, oh, okay, new character. But anyway, Tyrese uh, tells her he really doesn't want to help with the fences anymore. It's kind of really eating away at his psyche. Like, he's fine taking down zombies in combat when it's doing it to survive, but when you're looking him in the face and just stabbing them over and over again, it's mechanical, it's monotonous, and it's kind of creepy, and he just doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, besides um, Tyrese building credit his way to just being my favorite character on the show, which he certainly, <laughs> he's slowly earning that, um, I did actually, I appreciated how, um, what's uh, Karen, the actress, uh, Melissa Ponzio, has, she's gone from being random character that occasionally yells things at Andrea from season three to an actual player in this episode and presumably this yeah. series. So good for you, Karen. Like you've, you've risen up in the, in the world. I think it's great. Tyrese is like one of my favorite characters in the book. So I'm glad he's becoming Agreed. one of my favorite characters in the show too. I agree with that. Yeah. And uh, so we can see that there's a bit of a relationship starting between Karen and Tyrese. We don't know too much about it, but they, they seem to be getting along together pretty well. We also catch up with Herschel, who uh, apparently in the last six or seven months, they found a, a prosthetic leg for him, so he doesn't have to go around with the crutches quite as much. He's got the uh, kind of fit uh, leg. I, I wouldn't say it's a perfect fit for him, which, I mean, it kind of works within the story. You're not going to find happen to find a uh, prosthetic leg that perfectly fits, but it, it's doing the job. And uh, he has this chat with Rick about planting crops when uh, when Michonne shows up, but I know you guys really liked one of the lines he told Rick while they were talking about uh, planting the planting the crops. Yeah, that's probably my favorite line of the show. Is uh, oh, we're gonna make a real farmer out of you. Yeah, get your pair of overalls and a piece of hay to put in your mouth, and maybe a bigger ass. I uh, I just <laughs> I just thought that was funny. I, I I always liked Scott Wilson as Herschel, and it was cool to see him be his uh, you know his wry uh, wise self once again. You know, I agree, and I I I mean that's one of the key relationships on this series that I genuinely always enjoy. I think Herschel and Rick have some of the best chemistry on this show, along with a couple others that we'll mention. So Michonne shows up and she returns from a mission and it appears she's been going out periodically to search for the governor, which seems smart. But while she's out, she, you know, searches for supplies and all that kind of stuff. And she's brought back some comic books for, for Carl, but she makes him promise that when he's done reading them, she gets to, which was a nice little character moment for her. We actually see her smile a couple times this episode and she's not just, you know, glaring through gritted teeth uh, like she was for most of last season, which is very nice. Michonne no longer played by Grumpy Cat. Um, <laughs> real quick, um, did there seem to be something between Rick and Michonne there, or was I just reading I... into it? It seemed like they were a little more familiar with one another than they were. I don't know. I, I, if I had to... This is my kind of my own thought on it. If 
I'd like to think that Michonne and Rick have a similar relationship to what kind of Daryl and Carol have, where they're not necessarily together, but I think they're comfortable. They're comfortable enough around each other because they both have faced similar situations. If that makes any sense, it's like as like Michonne kind of. She said that she hears things too in the in the episode Clear, just like Rick DeWitt did with the phone and what have you. Like, and you know, has he sees stuff and hears things. I know that'll make. <laughs> someone happy when stuff, I say that stuff yeah. and things <laughs> stuff and things um, and I and just like how I don't think um, Carol and Daryl are necessarily together but I think they have kind of this understanding that makes them have a stronger bond than many of the others do and that's kind of what I'm taking away from the Rick Michonne relationship right now and also now that Rick is not crazy anymore or at least not nearly as crazy as he was last season um, and she's become more comfortable with the group I, I just think that their two personalities have had more of a chance to not be openly antagonistic towards each other sure. um, or just confused by each other. So, you know, Rick Rick has had his issues, but he was never, at least in my opinion, like the hardest guy to get along with. If you weren't trying to kill him or he wasn't going insane, he, he's a reasonable dude. And Michonne, we know from the comics, although we didn't really get to see it in the show, she's a very reasonable person as well for the most part. So once they're on equal footing, I, I was not surprised to see them um, be very civil. Whether or not they have a relationship beyond that, it didn't really cross my mind, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Well, they're also both survivors. They're also very talented fighters. Um, if anything, that's the one kind of digression that Tyrese's character's taken from the comic, where in the comic, I think Jimmy'd agree with me on this, Tyrese is more or less unequal to 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 Rick as a kind of a leader and fighter right. figure. Like in the in this show he's not necessarily not wanting to go into a fight, but I mean expressing discomfort with, you know, killing off the fence walkers and whatnot. It's a, it's a it's a bit different, but then again, the whole scenario is different with how we're being, you know. Plus, plus in the book, I think Tyrese is more of a sounding board for Rick. Like when Rick makes a decision, he he would run it past Tyrese in the book. I think Herschel's kind of taking that role here um, in for the, sure. in the yeah. series as more you know like his trusted advisor. And his his responsibilities are slightly different because in the book Tyrese had a different relationship with another character that he brought with him as opposed to the sister who didn't exist in the book. Uh, so right. That's me trying to be vague about spoilers for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting you talk about both. Uh, you, you talk about Tyrese being less. I don't. I don't want to say violent, but less go get him in actiony yes. than he was in the books. Which a we've seen previews where he is very actiony, oh, yeah. swinging a giant carpet hammer, but. Um, I want to tie that into the next part of the scene, which is, you know, you know Michonne says she's going to go out and check the traps for any animals before the walkers get them. But Rick volunteers instead and says he'll go do it himself. But as he's leaving, Herschel tells Rick that the council, which is Herschel, Glenn, Carol, Daryl, and Sasha, which is a pretty good team, I think, um, they are going to insist that Rick take his gun along with him when he goes outside the gates for protection, which Rick seems reticent to do. So I wonder if the... Uh, if the calming, if you will, of Tyrese is being done intentionally to mirror the calming of Rick, which is, you know, Rick in the comics was always much more of a gung-ho, go get him, um, smashing some heads guy. And if this Rick in the show is being toned down some for story reasons, which I think are working just fine, having Tyrese be toned down in a similar way keeps them on similar footing and on similar ground. Yeah, for sure. And I'll be interested that, you know, obviously this is the first episode of the fourth season and the first episode where we really have them together on level footing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the where the season takes these characters as far as their relationship goes and where Tyrese himself fits into the rest of the, the scheme of the, the season. Right, right. You know, it's, it's interesting talking about the, you know, the, the trailer footage like we had from San Diego Comic-Con. 
in past years, when you look at that footage, almost all of it is from the season premiere. But I noticed that there was a ton of stuff in those trailers that was not in this episode. And I thought that was interesting that they mixed it up a little bit more than in past years. I think it's the first three, because I think the first... If I had to guess, I would say it's probably the first three episodes, and that's generally kind of how, like, reviewers get, like, screeners, look at, like, a number of... look at, like, a good chunk in advance just to kind of have a clear idea of how to review a show like this. Um, right. But also... Um, I think last season, because last season what we had, it was entirely focused on Rick and the gang with no Andrea, Michonne, or, or Governor. And then the second episode was entirely the Governor. Is I, am I remembering that correctly? Or, uh, that sounds right. right to me. Or is it the third? It's one of those. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it, it might have been the first one was a mix of the two of them on the road and then Rick and the group. The second was just Rick. And the third, the Governor and, and Woodbury. Or it was the second, I forget. But so you're, you're with, on the right track. With that, with that said, yeah. I mean, the last year we did have kind of – we'd had footage of – multiple episodes within one trailer because we knew that we we had images of the governor and we had stuff of michonne as well so i mean it's i i, I see what you're saying for sure yeah it, uh, it did kind of mix a, a lot of stuff that we didn't see in this episode and it could actually be even further in the future because of as far as the trailer for the season went and what what we saw is coming like the tyrese thing for example so winter is coming yeah <laughs> So we have a supply group that's getting ready to leave and go get some supplies, and that's Zach, who is best boyfriend. Uh, Bob, Lawrence Geller Jr., who's uh, from The Wire originally, right, uh, Aaron? That is correct. He's a character from the comics that apparently seems to be mirroring a lot of what his character was in the books, in the show. Um, not in the things he does necessarily, but in some of his predilections, shall we say. Mm -hmm. um, and we can get into that as the episode goes on. But uh, he volunteers to go along to earn his keep. Uh, we also have Sasha, who allows him to come, because, like we said, Sasha is on the council. She's moved up into a leadership position, and she seems very reasonable, so that's good. Um, they reach an abandoned army camp that appears to be uh, some type of triage center as well. There's, like, stands for IVs and such. And this is around a big shopping mall, kind of a big Costco-style building. Uh, they draw out the walkers from inside the store before they go in to get supplies, and this is where we have that scene where Zack is guessing at what uh, Daryl did before the apocalypse and his guess for this day, because apparently he has a different guess every day, was that Daryl was a homicide detective. I really like the, the the thought that went into how they cleared out the zombies, too. And when they roll up on the Costco, there's a, a big hole cut in the fence, and it turns out that she had been there earlier uh, hooking a boombox to a couple of car batteries um, with the music that we hear to draw the zombies out. I just, I thought that was, I, I liked the little practical uh, applications that they used to, to like work around the zombie problem. Um, I, just, I just thought that was a nice touch. It certainly ties into what we saw last season where, at the beginning of last season, where you saw them clear out a house with, you know, minimal dialogue, with almost no dialogue, and just, you know, they, they seem very efficient about the work that they do to, in order to make sure things are safe before they investigate. And here we see that they've spread that to the entire group. They've been teaching people. Yes. You know, we always get annoyed in any horror movie, but definitely in The Walking Dead as well. You always hear the complaints whenever anybody makes a stupid decision, despite the fact that people in real life make stupid decisions all the time. That said, you get to see here now where... They make all the right decisions, they don't do stupid things, and things still go wrong, but at least you can't go, oh, it's all because of that idiot Jerry, or whatever, which is nice. It just shows the attention to detail that I really appreciate, you know? I mean, it would be really easy and lazy and, and uh, to, to write it the way you're talking about, Jordan, where, oh, that jerk Jerry, he ruined everything, and now so-and-so is dead, blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, this actually shows some thought on the part of the writers, like, you know, okay, if we really were in this situation, how would what would be the smart way to do this? You know, what would be the... 
you know, the, the, the practical way to, to get out, you know, to deal with the situation. And I, I really appreciate that kind of thought in, in the script. There were two little touches at the end of this that I enjoyed. One was um, Michonne saying, I want to do this detective because Michonne had a joke to say, and that always makes me happy because she's not just nuts. <laughs> and she smiled, a big smile, yeah. which was very nice. It was it was pretty fun. I just like that cap to that scene. Want to do this detective? That was a good line for her. And um, the other is that we do get you know the shot of the threat that's going over this situation where you have the crashed helicopter on the top of the building. But what's clever about it is how they framed it. They showed uh, Bob was kind of standing there and they showed the half of a torso and it's like all right so where's the other half and they pant the crane shot goes up and then you see the other half of the torso which is like this half of this guy that's still he's a walker he's alive and he's like moving his hands around and you know the rest of the walkers in the helicopter out there it was just really cool um it was a really cool setup for what the potential threat is and about this location right right and and, and as you're explaining there, there's zombies all on the roof because it's kind of like built into a hill this building and and you got a helicopter crash, and it looked like a big, like a cargo, military cargo helicopter, right? Yeah, it was, was, it was, was, it it was massive. Yeah, it was a big one. So they go in, like you said, after they, they hook up the boom boxes, and they, they play the music to draw the zombies out, and they go in, they've got carts, they've got a plan. Um, it all seems to be going pretty well, and we catch up with a few of the different characters as they go around the store until we get to Bob. Now, Bob Stuckey in the comics was an alcoholic. Bob Stuckey in the show also seems to have been an alcoholic at some point, or I guess that never really goes away. You just deal with it for the rest of your life, if I understand correctly. Um, Hopefully I never have to find out for myself, but he finds a rack of wine bottles, uh, full wine bottles, and he picks one up. He kind of looks at it for a bit, and then he puts it back down. You know, there's dripping all around him from the ceiling. The, The ceiling does not seem to be particularly stable. And apparently neither is the rack. It started to rot away because of the constant water dripping on it from the cracks in the roof. And so when he puts the bottle back on the rack, the whole thing collapses and falls right on top of him. Bottles crash all around him. There's wine everywhere. Uh, he calls for the group. They go to help him. Uh, but the the sound of the breaking bottles and his yelling alerts the zombies up top. They start walking around. And the, the roof, not just the part that was dripping, but the whole thing seems to be very weak from the water damage, uh, you know, coming from the cracks in the roof that came from the crashed helicopter, and all of a sudden you have this whole group around uh, Bob trying to help him out when zombies start literally raining from the sky. Parts of them, some of them hit the ground and just splatter like grape jelly. It was gross. Others are falling and their legs are snapping. Others are just fine. Um, There were some really cool zombies. I love the one that when it hits the ground, the back of its skull just kind of stays stuck to the ground, so when it lifts up, all the hair and stuff just rips right off of its skull. Uh, kind of reminded me of the gas mask zombie from last year that I loved. Yeah. There's ones that are crawling around with broken ankles, kind of like a bicycle girl. Uh, there was a lot of cool zombies in here. So it just evolves into, pandem- not really pandemonium, they're still doing their job and doing it well, but you have zombies falling out of all the different parts of the ceiling, and there's no real plan that would allow you to prepare for that, and they're just fighting for their lives. I love Hangman Zombie, that one, hanging by his intestines as he came That out. one was gross, which, dude. Which that was, was nice. cool. Which was there for a while until another one knocked it down. There's such great care that was put into, like, building these zombies and what it would be like for zombies that were rotting on a roof in, I assume, the hot sun for, you know, days, months, weeks at a time, whatever, and, and then falling into a into a giant building with, you know, a large fall in their way. It's such a, a fun, creative zombie action sequence, which this show always excels excels at the best. Like, it's, whatever misgivings I have about the show in general, it's never, it's never comes down to the zombies or the scenarios they get themselves in. Those are always just a lot of fun, very tense. 
We also saw the in, in the scenes leading up to that, we see that we kind of get the giveaway of what's going on with Maggie and Glenn by him looking at the, you know, the, the portrait for your baby display. And then we also have that nice scene with Michonne where she walks up and uh, to the uh, cardboard Frankenstein. Like she's kind of frightened yeah. by it at first and then cuts its head off anyway. Which was really good continuity because if you remember when the zombie apocalypse happened, it was like end of September, beginning of October. Um, because Rick, uh, that's about the time that Rick uh, went into the coma. And so we have the Halloween decorations still up from inside the store, which is where they would be a month before Halloween. I thought that's a really good attention to detail and super creepy. <laughs> I, I'd like to think the show had that in mind and not just like thought, hey, we should put something weird in here for Michonne to cut up. But yeah, that's, that's a good call. Daryl notices that the roof is starting to cave in, and I think he can see through one of the holes the helicopter up there. So he and Zach go over, and they start getting Bob out from underneath of the rack as he's trapped. Um, and they get Bob out, but Zach is bitten, and he gets killed in the process. Uh, and the rest of the group escapes just barely before the helicopter falls through, which pretty much destroys them all and kills most, if not all, of the remaining zombies. Yeah, as, as we all know, um, if you're a good tracker, you can smell a helicopter a mile away. So, yeah, Daryl was pretty good on <laughs> picking that one up. But if that's it, um, uh, they really let Zach, go, like, die. Like, not or not easily. Like, they could have shot him in the head to end his suffering. But they just let him kind of go to... They let the zombies go to town on, on Zach's body there. Yeah. They well, they did have to worry about a helicopter falling on their heads. Yeah. <laughs> they had that close-up of him, like, biting into the tendons of his back leg. That was pretty... Uh pretty gruesome. Uh, so this whole time with the episode, we're cutting back between this story and Rick's story, which is much quieter, um, much more contemplative and very interesting. Um, so Rick is checking the traps um, and he finds what looks like a boar. I think it was a boar that was caught in a trap. It was kind of hard to tell the way they had shot it, but some animal when he sees a zombie come out of the woods and start looking at the boar. And it takes a second before she turns around and she goes, I think she says, please help me. And yes. we realize this person's either alive or, like I was kind of convinced for the first 20 minutes, Rick is hallucinating again. But this is a very decrepit, zombie-looking, English-speaking woman. Uh, she appears to be Irish, from what I could tell. Maybe Scottish, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was Irish. She's, she's an Ir a Carrie Condon. She's an Irish actress. Um, yeah, and she it was what seemed to be an Irish dialect. I, it was certainly it was certainly British, I guess. <laughs> It was certainly from that empire, yes, yes. but a, a thicker accent, too. It wasn't uh, your standard Irish accent. It was uh, maybe more of a Highlands uh, Irish accent. But anyway. Listeners, point feel free to fill us accent. in on, on what, what, what that did, accent was. Now, when this character was introduced, did anybody here think that was going to end well? No, no, no not, of course at not at all. Okay, this all right. Is <laughs> Good. This I mean, is I the Walking make... Dead, Jim. All right, all right. I just wanted to make sure I was on the same page as everyone else, because as soon as she showed up, I'm like, yeah, this isn't good. But I was waiting for at any second Rick to realize he's been talking to a zombie for an hour. Like, that's what I was waiting for. Yeah, I thought, it was, um, I, it, I thought she was real the whole time. It's just I, 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 didn't, I didn't see a scenario where she'd be, you know, joining up with the prison group at all, even regardless <laughs> of what the state of her husband was. So. Because we know the prison group hates the Irish. That's exactly. That's the reason. That's the <laughs> Just like uh, Gangs of New York. Horrible reasons. Exactly, yeah. all, the, all the hats they're wearing, it's great. <laughs> so uh, she she asks Rick for help and she asks if he has a group he says yes um, she begs him to take her and her husband Eddie into the group she said they've had a really hard time out here scavenging in the wilderness it's just not been going well for them and they would really appreciate if they could come back and so uh, she takes Rick back to her campsite and, and they walk for a while and they talk and we learn that there's kind of a 
three-question interview uh, process to join the prison group now. We, we've kind of much more democratized it since since we last left. And there's three questions. The questions are, how many zombies have you killed? How many people have you killed? And why? And uh, so they discuss this. They discuss whether you can come back from the horrible things you've had to do. Uh, she explains to Rick that Eddie was the one who kind of got her through the situation and, uh, you know, helped her come to terms with the horrible things she would have to do to, you know, destroying zombies and killing people when, when they had to to protect themselves, etc. Um, they finally get back to the to the campsite, to her small campsite, and uh, she crouches over a, a what looked to me like a cradle. I was thinking it was going to turn out there as a kid. Um, but as, as, uh, Rick is kind of looking in another direction, she moves to attack him, he sidesteps, and instead she decides to commit suicide, and she stabs herself in the stomach, and we realize that Eddie is dead and has been zombified, and is just apparently a head in a bag. We never actually see him, which I thought was actually a nice bit of restraint and kind of cool. And, and the whole question is, can you come back from what you've done? Um, and she, she pleads with Rick, you know, please don't kill me. I want to remain a walker with Eddie so we can be together. And he, he honors her wish and leaves, but not before she tells him you can't come back from what you've done. And, and so that's kind of the whole central question with Rick. Can he come back from what he's done? Can the group come back from what they've done? Can they become a society and not just a group of killers? Here's my, here's my kind of issue with this scene. Now, it's not there's nothing wrong with the actors. There's nothing wrong with the idea of the scene. And it's certainly interesting in how it plays out. I like I liked... Again, I like this episode as a whole, and this this plot's not, like, it's not problematic in any way. It's just, I feel like I've seen this kind of stuff from Rick's character before. And for a season premiere, we're spending a lot of time on this kind of repeated beat when we could be dealing with other things. I mean, there's we have to do a lot of table setting for what the season is. We could be dealing with more of Rick's relationship to the rest of the group and not some random character that we're meeting for one time only. It just feels like... um getting a lot of the same thing again. And I get, I mean, I get what the show's doing and it's obviously showing us something that, you know, relates to the main kind of thesis of the series involving people doing horrible things in a horrible time and like dealing with that, let alone, you know, survival and what have you. But it just, again, it's not that I dislike the events that played out. It just feels like we're somewhat spinning wheels in what is the first episode of a new season. What I appreciated about it was it showed us Rick's new perspective. You know, at the end of, at the end of season three, you know, Rick was, I mean, season three, Rick went crazy. He kept seeing Lori, you know, he yelled and screamed at Tyrese and them to get the hell out. I mean, all that stuff is going on. Now it seems like he, he's definitely rationalized all that. I mean, time has gone by. He's able to kind of, you know, compartmentalize that and realize that, you know, you, you really can't come back from that kind of stuff. You're just a different person now. And uh, I, I, I appreciated that part of it. Uh, but I definitely get what you're saying, Aaron. It seemed like kind of a diversion from uh, the more interesting parts of the show, you know, where, you know, we're definitely, you know, like you said, we're table setting, we're, we're seeing new characters, we're um, seeing what the new status quo is, that kind of thing. So that's fair. And I, yeah, I guess, I guess it's just because this is the first episode of season four. So I get, we have to establish where Rick is now. It, it feels like I'm seeing something I've seen on this show before with Rick when, yeah, there's other things that could happen. If it happened, like, on the next episode or something like that, then maybe I would have been more accepting of this plotline. But again, I mean, it is... Andrew Lincoln does a solid job. I like Carrie, Carrie Condon, who I like. on the, She was on the HBO show Rome, which I was a huge fan of. I, I think she's a good actress, and I was happy to see her, you know, pop in for an episode on The Walking Dead. Good for her. So, I mean, it, it's well acted. I mean, it's well shot and everything. I think Greg Nicotero does a good job of... For, for being the horror guru that he is in terms of makeup, seeing just, like, Eddie's head in a bag and not actually seeing the head and seeing kind of 
like Jordan mentioned, restraints on how that situation played out. I was, you know, I was pleased with how it was put together. It's just, yeah, overall, wasn't as huge a fan of this kind of subplot in this episode as I could have been. Yeah, I kind of agree with both of you a little bit in that I agree, Aaron. Maybe this would have been better in episode two or three, but at the same time, I needed this type of plot line, this type of subplot to. Um, to establish Rick's psyche at this point. Because like I said, when she showed up, I assumed Rick was seeing things again. And to have a plot line that not only shows that, no, he is not hallucinating still, or at least as far as we know, and he seems to be handling things that seem very insane in a very rational way, was good. It was good to see that, you know, six, seven months have, have you know, really done well for him and that he is a very different person he is a matured person and he has moved on from that section of his life now maybe you're right and I, I think you probably are I would prefer to see this in episode two or three but then again we don't know what's going to happen in episode two or three maybe this was the only place it fits um it'll be one of those things that in retrospect we'll know I guess exactly um but you know I thought I thought it worked definitely for what it was I thought it was important to have maybe it would have been better somewhere else but we don't know yet yeah it is it does come with you know recapping a show on a weekly basis we, we just we just don't know where <laughs> where things are gonna go I I feel like we could have like Andrea's plot from last year, we might have been more accepting of, I mean, I might have been, I know some of you guys were more on Andrea's side than others, but I, I might have been more accepting of what she was going through if I knew where that arc was taking her the whole time, um, even if I still had problems with it in retrospect. But yeah, I mean, it comes with kind of weekly recapping the show, yeah, and we might look upon this scene as like, that was pivotal to the whole season later on, but right now we don't know, so that's just how I kind of got to, have to go about it. When the governor shows up armed with only heads and bags, exactly. and we see it, it, was, it was all set up. Um, so we also have this plot line going through the episode with Patrick, uh, remember Phineas from Phineas and Ferb, and uh, he's not feeling quite well, and he, we have a scene where Carol is having story time for the various kids, many of whom are very annoying. Um, I can't stress how much I hate children, and apparently they don't get any better after the post-apocalypse. But she's doing story time, and that ends with knife fighting lessons, um, which apparently Rick is not supposed to know about, which uh, I... I not surprised, because that's not the type of thing I would want to tell him about either. Although it's probably smart to be doing, you know, these kids are going to have to defend themselves at some point. Might as well start them young. I, I wonder if the idea was proposed to the council, which I can't wait to see in action in some episode. With... I hope they have robes. Oh yeah, for sure. I, that's, the only, that's the only note I had about the council. They better have robes. But uh, I, I, I'm curious if, like, if Carol brought the idea to the council and they rejected it, or if she brought it to Rick and he rejected it, or, so, or if there's any his further history behind Carol starting knife her extracurricular activities with the kids about survival defense uh, rather than just kind of sneaking off and suddenly doing it. I'm curious how how that's going to go. Right, right. Uh, we have after the group gets back from the the big spot, the the uh, the Costco style building. It falls on Daryl to inform Beth that Zach died, and she takes it pretty well. I you know I've seen some people on Facebook and stuff saying she's coming across like a sociopath. And while I, I get what they're saying, I don't think that's the case. Um, they talked a bit about it on The Talking Dead, but even if they hadn't, you know, we've seen her deal with death a bunch of times through the series. And this seems to me like a pretty logical progression. You know, she, she contemplated suicide at a point. Uh, she had to deal with the loss of almost her entire family. And remember, that was a big family that she had to deal with the loss of and friends and her her boyfriend Jimmy back in season two. Jimmy, and, <laughs> yeah, good old Jimmy. And I think this feels like a logical progression where basically she's saying, 
you know, at this point, I, I can't, I can't just go into mourning every time somebody dies. I'm not saying goodbye to anybody anymore. If they die, they die. I'm going to feel bad about it, but I'm not going into mourning. I'm not crying about it anymore. Life has to go on. And to me, that doesn't come across as sociopath so much as just, you know, dulled to the pain at a certain point. She's just kind of had to get over it. For sure. And I mean, I think compared to Carl, who's become like a living symbol of Hank Hill's That Boy Ain't Right, I mean... <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think Beth, boy, right. I, I don't think Beth having a a a super meltdown at the sight of some boy that she liked dying, as opposed to maybe earlier in the time of the Walker infestation, this kind of thing happening. I don't think her being numb to the situation really suggests that she, you know, is a sociopath or is. I've I've seen people accusing her of being the one that's leading Walkers to the camp, things like that. Like it just it doesn't seem to add up to me at this point. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And then finally for the episode, we catch up with Patrick again, who, oh, like we said, wasn't Real feeling quick, well. We also find out why this episode is called 30 Days Without an Accident. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, Beth has one of those old-fashioned X Days Without an Accident signs you might find it in a warehouse. A, it was on 30, and she takes it back down to zero. It seemed like a new living version of Facebook. That's what she was uh, going for. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have emoticons that she can hang? It's from like the, if, uh, from if anyone bins? watches, if anyone watches the league, uh, Taco has a living Facebook thing, and that's that's what I think Beth was trying to replicate here. Right, right. <laughs> oh, Yobagoya. Anyway, uh, so like I said, there, there's Patrick, and uh, he wasn't feeling well earlier. We catch up with him again. He gets up in the middle of the night to, uh, yeah, not not use the bathroom, but he just seems to be feeling very ill. He goes into the shower area, which is uh, where they used to have the was that the boiler room. That we saw last season, the room where they killed like Andrew and stuff. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. If I had to guess on where they had. That. Yeah, I forget what the room was, but it's that same room. Um, and he goes and he they, they've got a pump action shower all set up there, and he he stands under the water for a few seconds uh, before he passes out, falls over, cracks his head, and dies. And the episode ends with us seeing that Patrick is now among the living dead. Bum, bum, bum. I want to point this out because I did watch the episode multiple times so I could do the written write-up and just because I like watching the show and it repeats itself. Um, when Patrick dies, he's, his eyes are all bloodied. That's something, and like, or basically all of his, the orifices on his face are all bloodied up. And this is, this is important because Rick also sees a walker that, like, at the beginning of the episode and when he gets back from the whole Clara incident, like, he sees the same walker, which also has blood all coming out of his eyes and his ears and stuff. So it... Whatever's going on, which obviously I think everyone believes is some kind of disease or plague that's going to be making more of a presence in future episodes, it's it's out there, and the the show's done a good job of setting it up as, as subtly as it has. Yeah, I was wondering if that was a continuity thing or if that was just a stylistic choice. But now that you mention it, I mean, I do remember Rick seeing the you know them specifically showing walkers with eyes, you know, and orifices bleeding. So yeah, I think Jordan, you actually tweeted. You said that zombie has like cataracts or something like that. I think you put that out during the episode. Oh, that's that's uh, that's true. I forgot I I tweeted that, but you're it, absolutely correct. Because I because I made a joke about that zombie with my friends when I was watching it the first time, and then that that same zombie came back at the end of the episode, and it had the same kind of the eyes are all they're all bleeding and stuff. So it's 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 showing that one in particular for a reason. And then it's like, all right, so something's going on. Maybe it's meat. Maybe it's in the air. There's a whole lot of ideas that the show presents you with, like like the dead pigs and what have you. So. 
Well, yeah, and I, I would remind listeners, remember, everybody's infected, which means if you die for any reason, you come back as a zombie. Whatever's going on doesn't have to be some super zombie virus or anything like that. It could just be, you know, a really bad strain of the flu or malaria or, you know, pick your poison. You know, all it has to be is something that can kill you and you can come back and uh, presumably also transferable from uh, pigs to humans. So that could be. Uh, that could be swine flu. That could also just be really bad E. coli, you know, for all we know, or hoof and mouth or something like that. I don't I don't know my pig diseases very well. So if, but... if it is the flu, are we going to see the cast of the stand walking the other way? <laughs> Maybe if Darabont was uh, was leading the show, but I don't think so right now with Gimple. Or if it's, um, if it's like Contagion, we'll see another grisly death for Gwyneth Paltrow. So. <laughs> <laughs> she just shows up to die and then her head is in a box. Spoilers. Editor's note. All right, folks, as you're about to hear, at this point in the episode, my mic connection got a bit uh, loopy, let's just say. Uh, bad connection some way. I don't know how it happened. Uh, as you can hear now, the microphone is working just fine, so don't worry about this happening again. But for the rest of the episode, my mic quality is not as good as it normally is. I apologize, but uh, we still have a lot of good stuff to talk about. A lot of people have been calling attention to the fact that when he shakes hands with Daryl, uh, Daryl licks his fingers clean because he's eating deer or he's eating one of the pigs. I forget off the top of my head. Daryl licks his fingers clean and then they shake hands. So did Daryl pass anything on to him? Well, if so, then why isn't Daryl dead? I, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where we can speculate all we want, but we might as well just wait a week or two to find out what's going on. It's certainly one of the better mysteries I think the show's kind of set up because there's so many different possibilities for what it could be let alone how it's going to play out with the rest of the season. I mean, we already have walkers, a crazy governor on the loose, and whatever else is going on out there. So now we have some kind of mystery disease happening. It's like, oh, man, this is things don't get better on The Walking Dead. So, I mean, we talked about the, this in the beginning, and so I'll, I'll reiterate now and kind of explain more what I was saying. I liked this episode in retrospect. At the time I watched it, though, I was a little bit bored up until, you know, we start having uh, the zombies falling through the roof. But I think it was important because it lulled us into that false sense of security. It showed us how well things have been going. It showed us how much of a, a well-oiled machine this group has become. And I think that was important to, to kind of put us off base and be like, what the hell is going on? Why is everything so peachy? Not that it's great, but, you know, comparatively, why is everything going so well and going so slow? So when they have zombies falling from the ceiling and people dying in, in the shower room and all these things, it needs to be jarring. And I think in retrospect, it did exactly what it needed to do. And maybe being boring for the first 20 minutes was actually very purposeful. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was necessarily bored about what was going on within the first uh, you know, 20 minutes, just because I was interested to see what the status quo would be. But I understand what you're saying about kind of the pacing being... It's slower, and yeah, it's certainly not starting you in the midst of action. But I mean, I like that. I was, I was kind of, I was happy with getting up to speed with where things were, and not needing to necessarily see kind of a, a zombie attack happen or anything. Of that, I mean, actually, we did get quite a bit of zombie kills within the first twenty minutes of this episode. But I mean, it, it, it felt right to me of just what the show needed to do in an effort to kind of set things up, put them on their way. It was, I had less issue with you know the opening, which. Was which seemed like a requirement to me versus kind of the Rick stuff, which is already already talking about later on. Yeah, I thought it was a good um, like showing them, you know, at the gardening and setting up housekeeping, quote unquote, or whatever. I thought it was a good status quo to introduce chaos into. I think if it had been just chaos, 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 and then we'd had more chaos, it just wouldn't have worked as well as it did um, in this episode. So 
I mean, they're, they actually have something to lose now, you know, I guess would be the best way to put it. What I enjoy is that the cast is very comfortable on screen, which I think is something that's admirable for a series like this, which, you know, is largely popular because of the zombie mayhem that happens. But you have, you know, scenes with um, uh, Norman Reedus and Melissa McBride, who they're, they're, they're just like old pros at this point. Um, they, they kind of share a, a very solid chemistry that you enjoy seeing, regardless of what their relationship status is. Oh, my God. I mean, it, it works. And even with newer characters like Karen and Tyrese, for example, they, they fit into this universe and they feel natural. And that's something I can admire about a series like this that has such fantastical elements going on within it. I also really enjoyed that the writing seemed to be very sharp and on target, with the exception of some of the stuff with the little kids, which, again, super annoying. But this was, for me, a good start in that even though it was a pilot and needed to... Or not a pilot, but a season premiere, and needed to set up a bunch of storylines, it focused much more on individual characters. You know, Rick had a story, and then the rest of the people had a story that focused mostly on Daryl and a little bit with Bob and stuff, but it was mostly Daryl and that group, and it didn't have to spend ten minutes with every character, or, you know, three minutes here, three minutes there. It touched on just about everybody, but only in passing, and then the stories, for the most part, were just a few characters. Not quite to the level of, like, 18 miles out or clear, but definitely on the right track, which is exactly what we've been asking for. Um, and I think that'll be a lot easier to do once you're not in the season premiere. But if this is the premiere equivalent of that, I'm super happy with it. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope that's kind of a hallmark of, of what Gimple's going to bring to the, the table. I mean, especially considering he wrote Clear, um, which is, you know, like I said, probably my favorite episode of the last season that focused on a smaller group of characters rather than trying to fit everyone in, like you say, Jordan. I'll certainly say Clear is maybe my favorite episode of the series next to the pilot, but I, a few others. I, I, put, I probably put Clear probably high up there. But with that said, yeah, as much as I like seeing the, you know, the, the, very, the very focused episodes with only some characters involved, I, I mean, I like seeing this ensemble. I think that there's a good cast here, so I like seeing them all you know, in action. And I think the, the show does a good job of utilizing them in this episode. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think the writing does support that statement. I think the only kind of clunky scene involves kind of showing us who Bob is, where Sasha just literally lays out everything about what this character is, but besides that, I mean, I think it did a, did a good job of just kind of setting the stage while incorporating the entire ensemble, and then leading on to a, two distinct subplots that go on with Rick and then the uh, Supply Run gang. So how many busters would you give this episode, gentlemen? i give this four out of five busters. I thought it was a solid season premiere. Uh, I like, for the most part, the way it introduced the new characters. I just I like the episode overall. I thought it was strong, and uh, except for I had a few misgivings uh, that you know Aaron touched on, like I said about the um, you know, the Rick subplot with the woman in the woods or whatever. But other than that, I thought it was uh, pretty solid overall. So four out of five. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. I say four out of five. I mean, like as much as I love Breaking Bad, and I know you guys love Breaking Bad too. Like it's just among the best series of all time for me. It's knowing that like a series like that exists, it's fun to get back to The Walking Dead, which I know is not. For, for me, at least, it's not, like, my favorite show, but it's a show I like watching. It's a show I like having fun talking about. So I I felt like this episode did a solid job. It, it, it's a good, it's a strong episode that does a lot of things The Walking Dead tends to do right. It does those quite well. So a strong four out of five for me. I will make it the hat trick and also go with a four out of five. I think this is exactly what I want from the show in terms of tone and focus. Um, did it do everything perfectly? No, but I think it made up for that with the action set pieces or set piece uh, with the helicopter and the, the raining zombies. A lot of really cool stuff there. Um, 
you know, there was some little things like with the kids and stuff like that that got on my nerves. But in general, this seemed more focused. The writing seemed more on target. Um, and I, I'm excited for this season. I think this episode is an omen of good things to come, and I certainly hope I'm right. Uh, Jim, what did our listeners on Facebook think of this episode? Well, it was pretty positive overall. By the way, if you'd like to join the discussion on our Facebook group, it is the Walking Dead TV podcast group on Facebook. Just uh, submit a request and, and join in the conversation. We have a lot of great people in our Facebook group, and we appreciate uh, their input. We got a lot of great comments on this episode. Um, uh, Ian Tim said it was a bit slow and a bit weird. Uh, Mike Jones, uh, a study listener, I love it already. Seems much creepier of a show now. Uh, Leslie Johnson said it was a great start and thinks we were looking at a fantastic year. Um, Tammy Rickardson, I, I was great. It's going to be an awesome season. Uh, Paul Gayona said, I lo- I'm loving the slow build. It's Walking Dead. They have yet to disappoint me. Uh, Echo Alpha said, uh, he'd be very, he was very honest that, it, uh, that he liked it because it was calmed down. And it doesn't always have to be a big flamboyant opening. And uh, he thought it was great. Terry Bernard liked the feel of the episode. Uh, Michael Santana said, this is going to be the season that the others aspire to be. Um, and Aaron knew our own Aaron Newer said, did anyone else spot Bill Murray zombie? I did not, Aaron, please it enlighten was, me. It was, it was early on in the episode. It was one of the, one of the fence walkers, like approaching the fence and I saw it and I just said, oh, Bill Murray zombie. And then I saw it a couple more times. Like that's definitely Bill Murray zombie. <laughs> just looked like it. <laughs> Melinda Clark Ake says, who wouldn't go for Daryl? Seriously. We need to see grandma slipping in panties. He is the whole apocalypse package. <laughs> um, Luke Smith FX, uh, great start to the season. Can't wait to see how the whole swine flu disease story arc pans out. Uh, Everard Santa Maria, after rethinking and seeing other people's observations, he thinks it's going in a direction a la Lost, and this will be a conspiracy theorist dream show. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, Crystal Cornelius said, I give it 3.5. It's raining men zombies out of five. <laughs> um so um, Robert Robert Nigro gives a three and three point five out of five as well. Uh, Mike Jones, as I said before, four point five out of five. Um, we had a lot of really uh, good comments, a lot of positive comments on the Facebook group. Seems like everybody really enjoyed the season opener. Can I can I say something real quick about the Facebook group? Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> I love the Facebook group. Like I, I do gets, too. I'm really it, I'm really enamored with our our fans. It gets a little like slow during the summer, obviously, just because there's no new episodes. Uh, for the, the show but i mean with the you know in the past few weeks this thing's been kicked back into gear everyone just has such a great time on that show and it's not really it's not there's no real mean spiritedness going on there everyone just generally regardless of how they feel about the show they just generally want to talk about it and have a good time and they post fun comments and i love i, I love interacting with the, the various people on the facebook page it's just it's just a fun place to do it so i you know if you want to get on there certainly go for it but you know good job all the fans on the facebook page or the likes or whatever i mean that's just absolutely it, it's a lot higher um higher level of discourse as it were than most other fa- uh, Facebook groups or forum groups or whatever. I mean, it, like you said, Aaron, it's very, very welcoming and, and, and not, you know, um, trolly in any way. A lot of good theories flying out around there about the, um, you know, tainted deer meat or whether, you know, Beth is a psychotic, like parent, like uh, Jordan said earlier or whatever. So yeah, definitely. I recommend anybody who enjoys the podcast, definitely join our Facebook group. There's a lot, a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of good people, a lot of, a lot of insight there. I really enjoy it too. Just watch out for Mike Jones, though. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> super fan, super fan, Mike Jones. <laughs> so let's talk about the uh, what the rest of the country thought about this episode, or at least in terms of how many people tuned in. Uh, yet again, not really surprising at this point, but The Walking Dead set yet another ratings record. Uh, this episode was the most watched episode of the show 
ever. 16.1 million people watched the premiere. Highest rated episode of the series. Highest rated episode of any basic cable television series ever. Uh, the episode became the number one telecast among adults, 18 to 49, this broadcast season, including sports. Let me make that clear. Not just of scripted shows. We're including sports now. That's how big this premiere was. That is awesome. I, it's amazing. I know we've talked about it before. It's like almost every other TV show works in the opposite way. The, they get the big group on, or they get the big number on premiere, and then uh, as the show goes on to a second season or third season, they tend to lose viewers by attrition. Um, Walking Dead is entirely the opposite of that. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. It just seems to be getting to be a bigger and bigger juggernaut as it goes on. And I think it's kind of amazing. It's kind of, it's almost like a, a mirror image of what happened with the comic too. I mean, the comic started out as very, you know, as, as some, you know, popular but not incredibly popular, and it just gained and snowballed in popularity as you know time went on. And we're seeing the same thing happen with the show. I think it's pretty great. Gentlemen, should we close this one out and head into our preview of next week? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Alrighty, as usual, if you don't want to know anything about next week's episode, well, then uh, listen to the outro, and then uh, you can be on your way. But if you don't mind hearing some very vague information about next week's episode, uh, please feel free to stay on. We're also going to talk about a little bit of casting news that we've heard. Uh, if you checked out the episode that posted, I believe, yesterday, or maybe the day before, depending on the, when this one goes up, um, we posted the audio from New York Comic Con 2013. I still don't have the information of who gave that to us. I apologize. We'll try to remember next weekend to give them credit there. But um, there's some casting news that came out of that, and we will talk about that after our little uh, closer here. So, until next time, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that at 516-468-7912. That's 516-468-7912. Or send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtea.com. That's comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Check out hhwled.com for all of our great shows like Half Hour Wasted, Long Box of Doom, Black Box, Out Now, our brand new shows, Jersey Shore, uh, Really BS, and many others. There's a lot of great stuff there at hhwled.com. Follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at hhwlod underscore network. And of course, we already mentioned the Facebook groups where there is a ton of fun conversation. So until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, you can always become a farmer in the apocalypse. It's a viable option. Have a good week, everybody. And next week on The Walking Dead, episode 402 is entitled Infected. And our brief synopsis from AMC is, A brand new enemy has the group fighting to protect the life they've built at the prison. And that will air next Sunday. Uh, so we don't know a whole lot about that, but we do know some casting news that I was super, super excited about. Uh, and I, I know Aaron was as well. We already knew Christian Stratos would be playing the part of Rosita Espinosa in Season 4. And we were excited because, and we were vague about this, that might mean that two other characters will show up. Well, now we know for sure that those other two characters will be showing up. We have Michael Cudlett from Southland, who will be playing Army Sergeant Abraham Ford and his mustache, a character I'm super excited <laughs> to see. Abraham is awesome, at least in the comics. And uh, you gotta go love a guy who's got a uh, handlebar mustache. They're just they're just cool. And and if they if somebody's got the stones to bust one out, well then quite frankly they've earned their keep. We also have Josh McDermott uh, from Retired at 35, who will be playing the role of Dr. Eugene Porter. Uh, these three characters, Rosita, Eugene, and Abraham, all showed up at the same time in the comics. It looks like they will be doing the same thing here. Um, 
again, I don't want to spoil anything about the characters, but I like all three. I'm super excited about Abe, though. Uh, Abe is just awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Abe character from the comics, and I'm a big fan of actor Michael Cudlitz. He's a very, very solid character actor who was on Southland, and I actually legit thought that he'd make a good Abe before this was ever announced. So the idea of him actually being on the show, like, satisfies me to no extent. But yeah, I'm very excited to see all three of them enter into the, uh, to the series. I love how they're stacked in the deck with a lot of good character actors, too. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I mean, if you when you have a couple actors from the wire, everything can you know just be better. That's, that's, that's my that, that's a motto that makes no sense. But yes, I'm going to stick with it. Alrighty, so I think that's it for this episode. Check out next week when we talk about Infected. Check out hhwlod.com for all of our great shows. You can hear Jim and I on LOD. You can hear me on Jersey Shore. You can hear Aaron on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, our weekly new release movie uh, podcast. Lots of great stuff on hhwlod.com. We hope you enjoy it. And uh, have a good week, everybody. So I can't decide whether I'm going to end up doing It's Raining Men or It's Raining Blood for this week's ending music. Oh, It's Raining Men, no question. Yeah, but then I found a mashup of the two that I was like, this is pretty cool. Oh, well, if you got a, if it's a cool mashup, then, you know, print the legend. Right? And there was a third song that now I'm forgetting that I was like, oh, that would also be perfect. The Man Who Fell to Earth. I like how clever, like, the nation felt as every one of them made a Raining Men joke. In- including time. myself. My friend did it next to me, which made me laugh before I, because I wasn't on Twitter or anything, so I didn't hear it, you know, 70 more times. But, <laughs> but it was fitting, is the only way <laughs> to yeah. really explain yeah. that scene. And this is episode 98, I believe, right? Wow. Hitting a lot of milestones. It's had 250 on LOD and now 100 on this. I'm at 125 next week and I'm now. As far as, wow. numbered, as far as numbered episodes go, I know we have like 160 or something if you count all the I've got to tell you, man, I, lo- I love the Knights episodes. I okay, really do. That's, that's great to hear. Thanks, Jim. Like, I really enjoy them a lot. The last one was Scott and Jordan about gravity. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that a lot. It's fun having that kind of freeform area. And I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to post it on iTunes with the other, like, just and kind of lump it all together. So it's just a fun kind of breakaway. Plus, it always makes me think of Baywatch Nights, which you're referring to, I assume. Yeah, it's it's we have a lot of things conscious in the kind of after hours type thing that we do. Well, and because you're supernatural detectives, that too, of course. Yeah, Abe especially. (laughs) 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 I don't know how that sentence works. He's especially a supernatural detective, but okay. He is. He has. He has specialer powers than I do. (laughs) He's more. He's more. More detective than you all are. And yes, Aaron, that is how you play. Yes, and I appreciate you playing along. You're also drew in 10.4 million adults in the 18 to 49 demographic, uh, which translates to 8.2 adults in the 18 to 49. Uh, what the? F- uh, never mind. Let me cut that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that does. Just numbers. It doesn't now mean anything at a certain point. Some bloopers.